Well, welcome everybody to our online campus. It is so good to have you with us. And today is actually a special day. Today, we as a church are celebrating four years. Four years. It's wild. It has gone by so quick. We made it. Well done. We got here. We were just saying, I was just talking to Chris about how just a few years ago, we were sending in footage and sending in pictures to try and do like an online anniversary service. Um, because everything was online and for almost half of our lifespan as a church, it was through COVID. And so we made it. We are out. It's been four years, uh, which is pretty cool. And so everyone at church today will be celebrating. We've got cupcakes. So if only we could put cupcakes into your TV screen, kind of like Wonka vision. Do you remember the old Willy Wonka? That was, that one's the best one. Anyway, moving right along. <clears throat> I couldn't think of a better book to talk about today, um, to celebrate what has been an amazing four years and to look ahead for us as a church and what it means for us to be a church family. And that book is the book of Philemon. Philemon. It was so funny the other day, someone literally said like, I don't even, I didn't even know that that book existed. Well, fair enough, because it's only like just over 300 words. We are, in fact, going to read the entire book today. Uh, but like I said, it's only just over 300 words. So we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Um, it is the shortest epistle that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote. And it is a phenomenal book for us to dive into today on this fourth year anniversary as we kind of talk about um, and I guess remind ourselves of who we are called to be as a church family. So let's get into it. The entire book of Philemon, stick with me. It's not too long, I promise. Uh, it starts off like this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister or Appia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home. It's suggested that Appia is the wife of Philemon and Archippus is their son, and together they have a church that meets in their home. That is why they are fellow workers. Paul goes on to say, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I go on, I just want to mention that this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is sending to a man named Philemon, and he's about to ask him of something. He's about to, I guess, challenge his Christian worldview and the way that he behaves as a Christian. And so when you know that he's about to ask something of Philemon and you start to read the beginning, the intro, it's really interesting just to see how it's like an encouragement sandwich. It's like Paul, the Apostle Paul, is just so diplomatic as he starts off this letter and as he continues to write this letter. So he goes on to say, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us uh, in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So very encouraging, but mainly encouraging of his love for the Lord's people. Then he goes on, therefore, which is almost kind of like um, 
However, you know, like when someone's like, oh, you're amazing, you're amazing. Therefore, or you're amazing, you're amazing. However, and then it goes on. This is just, this whole letter cracks me up. It makes me laugh. But anyway, here we go. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. (laughs) So he started off so soft, but now he's like, I could just be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. And as is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he is in fact imprisoned as he writes this letter, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary of your own volition. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer, perhaps, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. So here we are realizing that he is basically standing in the gap and he's pleading for the slave. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me, Paul, a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I call and writing this with my own hand, I will pay it back. Not to mention, I love, this is such a Paulism, not to mention that you owe me your very self. How good. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I feel like I'm getting a letter from my mother. And one more thing, he goes on as he finishes this letter. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. And that's it. Well, Lord, would you speak to us today as we um, really dive into this letter, this epistle, uh, this book of Philemon, and would you speak to us and encourage our hearts, challenge us where we need to be challenged. In Jesus' mighty name, and every person said, amen, amen. So we have got this book. We've got this book, and this book is kind of frustrating. Uh, I heard it said by a lecturer named David E. Garland, and he, he describes it really well. He says, it's kind of like coming into a movie halfway. So you've missed the entire first part and then watching the middle and then having to leave before you get to see the end. This book is kind of like that because we read it and it's quite an odd book. It's quite an odd letter and it's very short. And we could be like, what, why is this letter in there? And yet it is one of the most explosive pieces of writing. People have um, written entire 
books that are very large, like N.T. Wright, on um, this book of Philemon and and really what it was that Paul was trying to get across because we read it as just a simple little letter, but there is so much more to it. It's explosive writing. And so we get introduced almost, like I said, we've kind of like walked into the situation that's taking place. The things that we know is that Paul is imprisoned and he's writing to Philemon. Paul most likely uh, led Philemon to the Lord. And so he's encouraging him like he was many of the churches at that time. And he probably would have been a mentor. He would have been someone that Philemon looked up to. And so he was held in high regard. And at that time, he was imprisoned for doing the work of the Lord. And then there's this young guy, Onesimus, who we find out must have been a slave of Philemon's. Philemon must have been a very wealthy man, a man who had a lot of um a lot of stuff, a lot of privilege, a lot of power at the time, and has probably been recently converted to um, to Christianity. And so he's now kind of stepping into that, similar to what the Apostle Paul went through. And so there's this young guy, Onesimus, and we don't know whether Onesimus was a runaway slave and he went looking for Paul, knowing that maybe he could connect with him and find some way of earning favor back again with Philemon, we don't know exactly what took place. But what we do know is that Onesimus has somehow, in the middle of it all, he's found Paul, and then he has become a Christian, which is why Paul says that he has now become my son, meaning he's led him to to the Lord. So now he's led Philemon to the Lord, he's led Onesimus to the Lord, and it says that Onesimus has been of great use to him. And back in those days when you're in prison, it wasn't like you were served three meals a day. You're not sitting in prison being like handed all of the things that you need. You needed someone to look after you. You needed someone to have your back, to bring you water, to bring you food. And so it could be that Onesimus, this runaway slave, has kind of found his way to Paul and has been looking after Paul. And while he's been looking after Paul, Paul has also led him to the Lord. And it's kind of suggested that Paul is keen for this, this young man to actually continue the work of the Lord, perhaps to be some kind of um, in, in the clergy of some sort. But you couldn't do that if you were a slave back in that day. And so we've got this crazy picture of Paul writing to Philemon in the most diplomatic way and really kind of saying like, hey, I know that you're a man of faith. I'm also a man of faith. But having this faith that we have in Christ isn't just an idea. It's an action. It's not just something that we think is good. It's a way that we live. This book is orthodoxy meets orthopraxy. It's an idea meets action kind of book. It is a hand and glove kind of book. It is taking everything that you believe and putting it to work. It's a faith and works kind of book. And that's why I love it. That's why it's so challenging. That's why it's so beautiful. Um, has anyone been watching The Mandalorian? The Mandalorian is like a spin-off um, of, you know, the Star Wars kind of world. And it's on Disney Plus at the moment. We love it as a family. The Mandalorian are like 
a group of people and they get their armor made out of this amazing like metal and um, they're just epic, you know, they're epic people. And I love it because they're like a culture, they're like a crew, you know, they're just like the, this um, crew of people, like a tribe of people. And one of the reasons that we just love it is that they, the Mandalorians have this saying and it kind of sums up when they like fully believe in something, when they're like, yes, we should behave in this way. And that saying is called, this is the way. This is the way. The main guy in it, the main Mandalore, he adopts this like baby Yoda. I don't know if you haven't seen the pictures, you, you're like, you're way out of touch and that's okay. But he adopts this um, baby Yoda and his like kind of mentor lady, the lady who's like the boss chick, uh, just looks at him. He's like, I'm going to adopt this child. And she's like, this is the way. Like, okay, that's, that's the way. He bathes in the water to be cleansed and become Mandalorian again. And he comes out and he's like, I bathed in the water. And she's like, this is the way. All of the Mandalorians get together and they're discussing whether they're going to help the city go to battle and like go against the bad guys. And they decide, yes, we're going to do it. And they, they agree with the line, this is the way. <clears throat> it's hard to put guidelines as someone who's watching the show or parameters around what fully counts as the way but the Mandalore just seems to know when it's the way it's like what Levi was referencing last week about the know it that sometimes we just know there's something in us the thing in the jig I like to call it spiritual discernment the Holy Spirit godly wisdom it's similar to that but different because it seems to acknowledge a way of living, not just a knowledge of living. This is the way, not just in theory, but in practice. And this is why this book is so beautiful. Isaiah 30, 21, it's a scripture that uh, for Levi and I, uh, it's just so important. It guides us every single day. And I say that with just, I feel it because this scripture means a lot. And it says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. But it doesn't just finish there. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Not just a knowledge of the way, but a practice of the way walk in it. Today, my message is simply entitled for our fourth year anniversary, This is the Way. Thank you, Mandalorians. The Book of Philemon presents us with some explosive literature, explosive for its time, but also for us today. Um, a 19th century bishop, he wrote this beautiful kind of, I guess, summary of this book. He says, as an expression of simple dignity, of refined courtesy, of large sympathy, and of warm personal affection, the epistle to Philemon stands unrivaled. Unrivaled. It's unrivaled that this book, this book has an unrivaled expression of simple dignity, of refined courtesy, of large sympathy, and of warm personal affection this epistle to Philemon stands unrivaled. And when I read this book, 
I can see three clear ways that we are to live. Three, three clear ways for you and I as a church family to live as if it's a, this is the way. And so we're going to dive into those three things today. The three things that I see is the way of koinonia. Some of you are like, what did you just say? We'll come back to it. The way of koinonia, the way of reconciliation, and the way of hospitality. So let's dive into the first one, the way of koinonia. Matthew 22, 36, Jesus is there and, and he's asked the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, because this is the way. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think if you and I were to go out onto, into our city and just approach any person, regardless of how they felt about the church, regardless of how they felt about the Bible, if we were to say to them, hey, could you just like think of one scripture from the Bible? I think a lot of people would be able to say, um, love your neighbor as yourself. It is a part of who we are and such a large part of who we are to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we explore this short yet mighty letter from Paul, we are doing a deep dive into what it truly means to have a Christian worldview, to live this Christian life. Philemon 1.6, it says this, I pray that your partnership, that word partnership is key here. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding and every good work we share, we share together equally for the sake of Christ. And this word partnership comes up quite a bit in the book of Philemon, but partnership is almost not even the fullness of what the word means because the word in the Greek is actually this word koinonia, koinonia. When we are thinking of how we are to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, this word koinonia is not just a lovely Greek word, but is in fact a way of living. Let me describe to you in my like very basic way um, how we could kind of get a picture of koinonia. Maybe I was to show up to your house with a meal because you've just had a baby. And so I show up and I'm like, I've got a meal for you. You know, I'm just here wanting to make sure that you're good, wanting to support. Maybe I went in and I did a bit of laundry, whatever it was, and just helped out, just, just showed some love because we're in this together. And as I left, you might say, hey, man, thanks so much. That, that's amazing. I'm so grateful. And I might say, hey, no stress. Queen Aeneid. I probably wouldn't say that but I could say that. And then you could respond because we're talking about Mandalorians. You could respond and say, this is the way. Koinonia, this is the way. Maybe for example, um, your car broke down and you messaged me and said, hey, um, my car's broken down. Can you please come and get me and then you know, drive me to my house? And that would be super helpful. 
And so I'd say, yeah, cool. Okay. Maybe I would. And, you know, let's say I drove out, picked you up, um, drove you home, dropped you off. And as you're jumping out of the car, you might just do a quick little turn and say, hey, thanks so much. And I might say, I probably wouldn't say, but I might say, hey, no stress. Koinonia. And then you might respond because it's just a part of the illustration with this is the way. Perhaps um, things have been awkward between you and I. And you ask to catch up because there's been resentment growing in your heart. And then we realize that it's just been this misunderstanding. And then we're, we're able to talk it all through, reconcile the differences. And it feels so much nicer, so much better, because usually a lot of the time it is just a misunderstanding. And I might say, hey, thanks so much for being honest. Thanks for catching up. And you might say, it was good to clear the air. Then we might hug it out. And I might say, hey, coin an ear. And then you might respond with, this is the way. While there is no exact translation in English for this word koinonia, koinonia is a Greek word most closely associated with the concepts of a holy covenantal fellowship. That's big. That's like wide and heavy. Holy covenantal fellowship. Um, in the Greek to English lexicon the New Test of the New Testament, it is described as fellowship, association, community, communion, really important there, joint participation. Its origin is in the Greek word koinonos, which means partner, sharer, and companion. In short, it is a shared community that involves deep, close-knit participation amongst its people. While some attempted to substitute the word fellowship for koinonia, it's far deeper than that, so much deeper. Like fellowship, it, it could be more of a, a surface level. Even friendship sometimes could be more of a surface level. It's a friendly kind of relationship, while koinonia is full. It's deep. It represents incredible unity. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Ephesus, God had what Paul called a secret plan, a secret plan, a mystery of unity beyond the cultural constraints that they were experiencing at that time. And he describes it as this mystery because for them, it was so wild that these different groups of people could come together in this shared communion, in this receiving of this gospel message together as equals. In Ephesians 3 verse 6, Paul says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus, that we are in Christ first and foremost, regardless of our differences. And now here in the letter to Philemon, we have Paul introducing the world to this way of living, the way of living through Christ, this Christian worldview, this way that we are to view one another, koinonia. He presents to the world this view, a new way of living based on the gospel of Jesus and what he did on the cross, bringing us into God's family through his blood and through the Holy Spirit. 
Back then, Jews and Gentiles did not intermingle and thought very poorly of each other. I can think of a lot of people today who feel the exact same way, not intermingling left and right, for example. My Lord, let's not go down there. But back then, they wouldn't intermingle. They thought very poorly of each other, but Christ at work in them, through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowed these separate groups to dissolve their boundaries and their constraints and become as one true koinonia brought together through the body of Christ, that it was Christ first that marked who they are. And Paul demonstrates this again through the relationship of slave and master by breaking down the boundaries and the rules of that time that society had placed upon them and encouraging Philemon to no longer receive this man as a slave, but to receive him as a beloved brother. And that is wild. We might be sitting there going, well, of course. Well, no, not of course. Back then it wasn't, of course. This was wild. A breaking down of the society, societal boundaries that were placed on them, not for anything other than putting Christ first and foremost in their lives by saying we are brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes us Brothers and sisters, it brings the koinonia to life. Philemon 1, 15 to 16 says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. We've got to understand how crazy this would have been. There are, I believe, there are no other recorded documents of this time where someone is suggesting such a thing to a person of wealth and status and power. This was breakthrough. It was a breakthrough kind of, I guess, worldview. But worldview doesn't even really... um, describe it as well as it should it, it it's this way of living this transformed way of living steeped in love compassion and a deep understanding of koinonia family unity togetherness not because we look the same not because we get along togetherness in Christ Jesus Paul drives it home even further and says in Philemon 1.17, So, if you consider me a partner, koinonia, welcome him as you would welcome me. He is expecting Philemon to receive Onesimus as if it were Paul himself. Paul, most likely um, the guy who led Philemon to Christ. Paul, who is guiding Philemon as he runs a church in his home, he is held in high regard and he knows it by Philemon and is now asking him that he have that same respect, love and honor and care for this runaway servant. This is the gospel. This is Christianity. This is koinonia. This is the way. So how does that um, relate to us today? Put simply, we are to love, receive and treat one another as a 
koinonia, as a deep fellowship. Regardless of our differences, our frustrations, our gender, our ethnicity, our social divide, once we are in Christ, it is Christ first and foremost. Everything else is the beautiful mosaic that is um, a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, a beautiful reflection of how Christ, how God has made us. And it's awesome. And we can fully embrace, for, for example, I fully embrace the fact that I am indigenous to New Zealand. I am very proud of that. That is a gift that God has given me and I am going to make use of that gift. I have been made Māori for a reason, but man, I am first and foremost devoted to Christ and everything comes from that. And it's made more wonderful and more beautiful and they can live together in a beautiful harmony. Through what are sometimes called um, the one another imperatives of the epistles, we are given a profile of ways, um, different ways that we can love one another, that we can outwork koinonia. And hopefully the scriptures will um, come up for you. Uh, if they don't, perhaps we can figure out getting them out. Um, but I'm not going to read through all of them. But through the epistles, there are clear scriptures that encourage these things, ways that we can love each other. We are to encourage one another. We are to admonish one another. That's right. A healthy community, koinonia, is not just like, yeah, you're awesome, no matter what you're doing. Like, amazing. Because you're not always amazing. I'm not always amazing. No one's always amazing. Sometimes we get things wrong and we need to be warned by the people around us who can say, hey, yo, you need to chill. Like, this needs to stop. Or have you seen this massive blind spot in your life? We all need that. If you're looking for just happy, like no one's going to challenge you kind of vibe, let me tell you something. That is not koinonia. So that's not what you're looking for. This is the family of God. This is his people. And admonishing one another is a part of it. Um, we are to confess our sins to, to one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to accept one another, serve one another, build up one another and be hospitable to one another. Koinonia. This is the way. The second way that I see in this book that's very clear is the way of reconciliation. The way of reconciliation. Philemon 1, 17 to 19 says this. It's like, Oh, the goodness in this, the, the willingness to outwork his faith in these few sentences is like really encouraging and really disheartening at the same time. Because I read it and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. It says this. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And then it says this, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. He is willing to go all out to get reconciliation and he's willing to put in the work. He is willing to put himself on the line. 
In this passage, we see Paul painting an incredible picture. For some of us, an awful one, but an incredible picture, almost like a replica. It's a picture, it feels like we've seen this picture before, maybe. A story that is all too familiar. Wait, so we've got a slave and there needs to be reconciliation. Someone is willing to step in and pay the price no matter what has taken place and pay the full price for the wrongdoing so that there can be reconciliation. I've heard that story before. We see here Paul not only expressing the message of Christ through his orthodoxy, but also also stepping into the practice of Christ through his orthopraxy, something that many of us find very hard to do, the actual outworking of Christ's message. This is so unheard of in the context at that time, let alone this time. I mean, I feel like it's so unheard of in our time as well, which is why this letter is so explosive and should be read by us on a regular basis so that we are reminded of how we are to live and love and serve others. Paul is putting a hand into the glove. He is saying, I won't just have faith without works because faith without works, we know through scripture is dead. James 2, 14 to 17 says, what does it profit my brethren? If someone says that he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, for the body, what does it profit? Reconciliation is for the body of Christ. Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. When we consider those who have wronged us, those who are not in right standing with us, we must also be confronted with the cold, hard reality and truth that is only found in the Christian faith. And that reality is that you and I have a God who became man who came into our world, paid the price so that we could be fully forgiven and reconciled to the Father. But we are also to do the same for others. Mm. Ephesians 4.22 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Some of you may be cringing at this like me, and I get it. There have been people in my life who have caused me great pain. But unforgiveness, they say, I don't know who they are, but they seem quite right, is like drinking poison and expecting it will hurt someone else when in reality it only hurts yourself. You can have boundaries and still forgive. You can decide not to be in the same room as someone and yet still forgive. And forgiveness a lot of the time is like daily coming back to, yes, I forgive, I forgive, so that that poison doesn't sit in your heart. But here's the kicker. I'm, this point isn't actually just about forgiveness. <laughs> and trust me, I'm preaching to myself when I say this. Unfortunately, this point is about reconciliation. People often confuse forgiveness with reconciliation as if they were the same thing. They aren't. Reconciliation is like a 
a final, a potential, and I say potential, that's, that word is really important, because for, for some situations, forgiveness is, is the most that can be done and wonderful. That is forgiveness, epic. This is amazing. We don't always get to reconcile with things that take place, with people who have hurt us, with people who have done wrong. But it is the cherry on the top. And a cherry on the top, if, if you're given dessert and you can have a cherry on the top, you should have the cherry on the top. Um, and listen, if you don't like the fake cherries, get a real cherry. We're talking about adding to what is already good. We should get the cherry on the top because forgiveness is really just for you. Like forgiveness is not for the person who hurt you. And we're talking about things that are good for the body of Christ to make sure the body of Christ works well. Forgiveness is, I'm not going to say it's selfish, but it kind of is selfish. Forgiveness is for you. Reconciliation is different. Forgiveness is for your benefit only and maybe the, for the benefit of those loved ones around you. But reconciliation is for the body. The space for reconciliation opens up when two people can acknowledge and can discuss the nature of the wrongs that were done and be accountable and to ask for forgiveness for any harm or at least make have an opportunity to make amends, to talk it through like I gave in that example, to talk through and realize, oh, there's just been some misunderstanding. Maybe it's not as simple as that. Maybe it's a lot bigger, a lot deeper, a lot wider. But if there is an opportunity for reconciliation, then we should try to find it. Reconciliation is wonderful when it happens. Not always possible. There are some people in my life right now that I couldn't imagine reconciling with. I couldn't, it's, I can forgive, but I'm not at that point. Perhaps is, would I like to get to that point? Maybe. I mean, I think reconciliation, if it's possible, it is the way, our way, the Christian way, the cherry on the top, fake or real. And the third way that I see in this book, in this small yet mighty, powerful, amazing, explosive book that I just love so much is the way of hospitality. And I get it. You're like, oh my gosh, here she goes again. It's like a broken record. Yes, I am. Paul finishes his very intentional, enlightening, world-changing letter with these words. In Philemon 1, 22, as if he hasn't asked for enough, this guy, as if he isn't laying out enough challenge, then he says this. Oh, and one more thing, as he finishes this letter, prepare a guest room for me <laughs> because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. So do all of these things, do all of this, it'll be great. And then also just make sure you've got a room ready for me. Prepare a room for me. It's so good. I don't know if you've met Mike and Dallin. They are on our board. They were the first Canadians that we met. We literally have a room in their house. Actually, this weekend, um, for me, I'm filming today. It's Friday. 
tomorrow we go out to their house. So when you're watching this on Sunday, we would have just left their house. We haven't sleep over there because that's what we do. We go out and we have grown up sleepovers. They're the best. We take our kids out and we all stay out there. We have a room. Like it, they literally have prepared a room and it's not even just like, you know, oh, you can just go sleep in there. It's like, it feels like our room. I'm actually pretty sure that the sheets and stuff were from our old bed. It's the epitome, I think, of a koinonia type of relationship. It's more than fellowship. It's something deeper. It's even more than friendship. It's something more likened to family. Um, and like I said, we, were, we would have been there just this weekend. We go out there quite, quite often. I know, like I said, I probably sound like a broken record when I say this, but alongside Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, all of that good stuff, hospitality, hospitality has built this church family. Paul here is wildly asking a lot from Philemon. I kind of feel for the guy. He's asking for koinonia, reconciliation, and hospitality, but like extreme versions of each of them. Lucky for us, we could just start small, right? Like we could just, he's got like specific, like imagine getting a letter from like Levi and he's got specific, like this person that you guys had a falling out, you need to do this and then, you know, then do this and also um, make sure that you've got a room for me. Like that's a, you know, that's a pretty big ask. But as Christians, I believe we are called to sacrificially serve others through hospitality. It should be something that marks us as Christians. We should be those who generously serve, gen, generously serve others through the ministry of the table. And not just our friends, not just our family, but the stranger, the passerby, the person who may never give something back in return. As we have pioneered local church, one of the things that has stood out to me the most has been the power and the beauty of opening our home, sitting with strangers at our table, eating with them and sharing our lives together. It has enabled us to engage in great discussions with people who see and think differently to us. It's allowed people to share their stories. Deep friendships have been formed at the table and it has been a huge part of turning a group of strangers into a beautiful church family. The ministry of the table has become a pillar of our church as it should be. And this pillar has strengthened us, kept us connected through seasons of isolation. It's like, it, because we had already talked about it before, it's our four year anniversary. This just is really, it's, it, it's just so real for us. It kept us together. Hospitality helped to build those kind of relationships that meant that we stuck it out together. The Lord kept us close through the ministry of hospitality. It enabled us to make room for others to find a home and it's enabled us to pastor people well. Hospitality. My prayer is that we would all together practice hospitality that when we think of the word hospitality we would think to ourselves this is the way walk in it Hebrews 13 2 says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers remember not just friends to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares 
I'm like that person that whenever I read that, I'm like, who could it have been? Like, I love just the idea of angels. I'm like, anyone, I don't know, every now and then I'm like, oh, do you think that could have been an angel? It just gets me excited. Anyway, 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Romans 12.13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Acts 2.46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The way of koinonia, the way of reconciliation, the way of hospitality is the way that we continue to move forward in strength as a church. Today we celebrate four years and my prayer is that we'd continue to celebrate year after year after year. And I believe that the way that we do that is through these three acts. This is the way. Walk in it. As we finish today, I just want to give anyone who's watching an opportunity to start to walk with Jesus. That's the beginning, is coming into his family, regardless of socioeconomic background, regardless of experiences, regardless of what's taken place in your life. The beauty of the gospel of Christ is that it is for all, that we all come in together, Jew and Gentile, and through his blood and what he did for us on the cross, this beautiful picture of reconciliation is made real for you and I, that we have someone like Paul who is willing to say, whatever is owed, I will stand in the gap so that he can be received or she can be received as family in this family of Christ, this body of Christ. It's the most beautiful, miraculous opportunity that you and I have in our lives. And it's the best decision that you could make today. And so if you're watching, if you happen to have tuned in to our four-year anniversary and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I would love to pray a simple prayer with you. And I'm going to say a line of the prayer and you can repeat that line. And by praying this prayer and praying it from your heart, confessing and saying, Lord, this is what I've done, but I need you. By doing that, the Bible makes it really, really clear that you and I are forgiven and we can start to walk in a relationship with Jesus where we are a part of his family. And that is only the beginning, by the way. The Christian journey is like a real journey of discipleship. It is a long, long walk. It is a long race until the end. And you never fully make it. It's not like once you pray this prayer, you've made it as a Christian. It's only the very beginning. It's a, the Bible talks about it being a rebirth. You are literally a baby who needs help. And so along the journey, we want to make sure that you have got community and people and the right books to read so that you can actually grow in your faith and become a devoted disciple of Christ so that when questions come your way or when doubts come your way, like stuff happens. Like this is a world where crazy things go on and it's not always perfect. It's usually the opposite. So we have to be ready to hold on to this faith that we have. And the way that we do that is by being discipled. And so let me just preface this prayer by saying, this is just the beginning for you. But what a wonderful beginning it is, a fresh and new start. So if that is you today, why don't you close your eyes with me? And if you're still tuning in, and if you're wanting to pray this prayer, then pray it out loud. And from your heart, it goes like this. Dear Jesus, 
I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. And today I come to you and I ask, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you wash me clean? Give me a brand new start. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, a massive congratulations to you if you did pray that prayer. Like I said, I believe it's the best decision that you could make in your life. And like I said, also, it's just the very beginning. So please um, click on that button to say that you made the decision so that we can get in touch with you and make sure that there is someone to walk this journey with you together. Hey, well, to everybody who tuned in, happy four-year anniversary. I pray that this message has blessed you today and we will see you next week.